you'll reach for your Bibles with me. Thank you, Zach and Praise Team. And as you reach for your Bibles, once you have reached for them, turn in them to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 for today's scripture reading. And Pastor Bruce will be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you're in need of a pew Bible, you can find today's reading on page 1149. I will be reading the first nine verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1, reading through verse 9. Follow along as I read. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace." But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that, through, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Father, we come. Lord, we come in different stages and different ages of life, Father. But we come here gathered as your people, wanting, Father, needing to hear from you. So, Lord, I pray that you would use Pastor Bruce. May your words, Lord, through, flow through him, that they would open our hearts and open our mouths to see Jesus. Father, to see Jesus... Lord, that we would grow in him and through your word. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome. Great to see each and every one of you here as we begin a brand new four-week series here in 2 Corinthians. These two chapters, chapter 8 and 9, on joyful generosity. And uh, just kind of give you a, a road map of where we're going. Uh, this series will take us through the month of November, actually even into the first Sunday of December. And then lo and behold, Christmas will be here, and uh, we will delve into a series uh, for Christmas, a four-week series there in the month of December. Now, why a series on joyful generosity? You might be wondering that. Why now? Why uh, at this time in the life of our church, many of you, uh, probably, hopefully, you received a letter in the mail this last week, and uh, a letter that gave an update on our general budget. And in that letter, if you took time to read it there, I shared that we are about 13% below budget when it comes to our giving. In fact, we're around just slightly under $40,000 on the income side or in our tithes and offerings in our general operating budget. And as members here at LifeBridge, which many of you are as attenders, 
Uh, like some of you are attending, you may not be a member, but you're an attender here at LifeBridge. I think it's important that you are aware of the current reality of the financial situation of our church. And I think it's important that you understand that if this reality continues, then obviously that has implications. Uh, that has implications on our budget going forward into the year of 2024 and even beyond. And just like in your home budgets, you either have to do one of two things. You either have to increase uh, the, the income side, or in our case here at our church, increase giving, or you have to decrease your expenses or reduce expenses. And that is something that we are currently looking at as a leadership team uh, here. And uh, there's, you might be wondering, what areas would we reduce our expenses? Well, there's operational expenses we might try to reduce and look at, and we are. There's the ministry side of expenses, uh, maybe trying to cut back here and there. But primarily, we're talking about reducing expenses when it comes to pastoral uh, employee expenses, which is uh, obviously myself and Pastor Chris, of how can we save money and reduce expenses in that area. That makes up the bulk of our general budget, uh, pastoral expenses, by the way. And so obviously, that's one thing that we are taking a look at going forward into 2024. If we continue in this, of where we're tracking roughly around 13% below budget. But I also, at the same time, I think it's rather important. In fact, I think it's very important that we frame all of this, we frame this reality in particular by the God of Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. It's a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Listen, God is fully aware of our budget deficit. This does not surprise him. This does not catch him off guard. It's not like he woke up someday and goes, whoa, what's going on with LifeBridge? They're, they're running a little behind budget here, 13%. And he's like caught off guard about that. God's fully aware of what's going on. And, and our God is more than able to provide for our financial needs here at LifeBridge and to do so through the generosity of his people. And that brings us here to this series. In fact, it brings us in particular to what Paul writes to the church at Corinth here in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. And if you look there with me, I hope you have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and you'll notice that in verse 1, Paul wants us to know something. He wanted, to, he wanted the church at Corinth to know this, and by his letter, he also wants us as a church here at LifeBridge, to know this. And he wants us to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. And then Paul elaborates on what this grace looks like in real life. In one area where he really dives deep into aware it, of what it looks like is in that particular area of giving. And in fact, he even alludes to it as the grace of giving. And then Paul issues, later on down in verse 7, he issues a challenge. And he says this, but as you excel in everything. And then he lists off some, some areas in which the church at Corinth was excelling. As you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in your love, 
in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. This is Paul's challenge. It was Paul's challenge when he first wrote this letter to the church at Corinth. And now by application, it is the challenge to us here at LifeBridge. And this is the challenge specifically. Notice it in your notes coming up on the screen. And that is to excel. And that specifically to excel in the grace of giving. Or what we are calling in this series to excel in joyful generosity to the Lord. Now, why does Paul challenge us to excel in the grace of giving or in joyful generosity? Because according to verse 8, excelling in the grace of giving is sort of a proof. It's sort of a demonstration that, that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and that you love Christ as your Lord and Savior. In fact, what we're going to see here is that joyful generosity is actually our heart response to God's grace at work in our lives. In other words, in Paul's mind, you cannot separate our acceptance of God's grace for salvation from the demonstration of God's grace in joyful generosity. This is the heart of Paul's message here in these two chapters. But to fully understand what it means to excel in, in this grace specifically, in the grace of joyful generosity, we need to know something about three different churches. And that is the churches of Macedonia, the church at Jerusalem, and the church at Corinth. And so the Jerusalem church is primarily made up of a Jewish congregation who, at this point in their history, they had been hit hard by a famine which created some significant needs in the church. And so what Paul's doing, he's traveling around different churches that he had already planted, and he's taken up a love offering. He's asking these churches he's traveling to, to, to give to this need to help the church at Jerusalem who is experiencing a famine. And so they were in need. And then you have the second group of churches is the Macedonian churches. This is a group of churches in the cities across northern Greece. And as we will see, these churches were in a very difficult financial situation as well. And yet, when Paul challenges them to participate in this love offering, they responded generously to help out in giving to the love offering to help this church in Jerusalem. And then you have the Corinthian church. This is who who Paul is writing this letter to. This is a church located in the southern part of Greece, founded by Paul during his second missionary journey. And Paul's now writing to this church, and, and he, in a sense, is challenging them to excel in the grace of giving, to excel in joyful generosity with their love offering for the Jerusalem church who's in need because of a famine. So three churches are in the mix here. One, with a great need. That's the Jerusalem church. One that responded generously to the need. That's the, the Macedonian churches. And then one that was preparing to give to the need. And now in which Paul is challenging them to excel in giving joyfully to them. And so with this background in mind, let's look at five principles that Paul gives to the Corinthian church. And by way of application, he gives to our church here today for excelling in joyful generosity. 
Number one, first thing we see here is that joyful generosity is rooted in the grace of God. In fact, here in 2 Corinthians, and you may have noticed it as Dane read these first nine verses for us. There's one word that kind of jumps off the pages of Scripture here, and that is the word grace. It's actually mentioned four different times in the first nine verses. But notice again what Paul says in verse 1. He writes, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So the Macedonians' generosity, what we see right away from verse 1 here, was not only motivated by God's grace, but it was rooted in God's grace as well. Paul wants us to know something. And in particular, he wants us to know something about God's grace and our generosity. And that is they are connected. Joyful generosity begins with grace, and now it continues by grace. And so the words grace and generosity, they go together. We might say it like this, like two peas in a pod, or like peanut butter and jelly. You can't have one without the other. And so just as you can't have grace without generosity. Now, what is grace? Uh, There's several definitions out there that you can use to define or describe grace. One of my favorite definitions of grace is is simply God giving me what I need instead of what I deserve. And there's no better example of this kind of grace than the forgiveness of our sins through the sacrificial gift of Jesus Christ. It It was completely undeserved, right? We did not deserve God's grace through Jesus Christ, his gift. It was a complete one-way blessing we did not deserve. But grace is not only a description of a, of a past event. In that case, what we're alluding to is, is the gift of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and burial, and resurrection. That's a past event that continues. It is also, grace is the power of God displayed in your life. It's a work of God in you that others know cannot be done in your own power. Verse 1 tells us that the generosity of the Macedonians was a clear evidence of God's grace working in their lives. And here's the deal. They were, they were in already in a tough spot financially. And yet, they still chose to give. And to give generously. So their giving, in spite of their own needs, was obviously something that God did in them and through them. In other words, they could not have given like they did if grace of God was not at work in their lives. In fact, on their own, they would have given like like I would give. If God's grace doesn't work in my life, how I normally give in the situation they were in, I I wouldn't give a lot because I'd be too scared to give. Like, what's going to happen? Am I going to make it? How can I give when I don't know what the economy is going to do? Who's going to be the next president? I mean, there's all these scenarios, the stock market, you name it. I would be too selfish to give. I would keep it all for me. And that's how I would naturally respond if God's grace isn't working in my life. And that's the same way here with these people. But they excelled. The Macedonian Christians excelled in the grace of giving, which was the fruit of God's grace working in their lives. So here's what we need to know up front. Paul wants us to know this. 
He states it clearly in verse 1. We make this known to you. And what he wants us to know from the very beginning here is that this grace of giving, as he calls it, what we are calling joyful generosity, it is all about God's grace at work in your life. It's motivated by grace because of what Jesus has done for us. It's empowered by grace. We're given the ability to trust in God for our needs, and it results in grace. Listen, people are blessed, and you are blessed. So joyful generosity simply reflects the beauty of God's grace at work in our lives. Now, at the same time, if you have yet to experience, that is for yourself personally, if you have yet to experience what Paul's talking about here, this this grace, this beauty of God's grace in your life, then you might find yourself, even now, a little reluctant to give to the Lord. You say, well, why is that? Because until you experience God's saving grace in Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ, there's not a lot of motivation to give. This is why joyful generosity belongs to those who've been changed by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And until you first experience this change, There's not a lot of reason, not a lot of motivation to give. But if you have been changed, if you're here now and you can raise your hand and say, listen, I know Christ because I've been born again by the grace of God. He has changed my life and it is only by grace. If that's you, then you have the greatest reason in all the world to do what the Macedonian Christians did and that is to excel in joyful generosity. So the first principle we learn is joyful generosity. It's rooted in the grace of God. The second principle is this. It's motivated by the example of others. Joyful generosity is motivated by the example of others. So here's a question. Who, who in your mind, who do you think, when you think of generosity, who comes to your mind? Maybe it's a grandparent, maybe it's even a parent, maybe it's a friend. But there's a guy in McDonough, Georgia, who would tell you who comes to his mind, Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, the same seven-foot-tall former NBA basketball player. This guy in Georgia, he was in Zell's jewelry shop one day after work to make a a payment on his fiancé's engagement ring. Shaq is also in the store, believe it or not, to look at some jewelry, and he hears the man ask the salesperson, how much do you owe, how much do I owe to pay off the ring? And Shaq overhears this, and he's a little intrigued by it. It catches his attention. And so he walks over to him, and he asks the man, how much do you owe? And then he said, I got you. And right then and there, he paid off the man's engagement ring for him. Right then and there. Can you believe that? Can, can you imagine being there on the end of that grace, on that generosity? Now, I'm, my first thought was, well, if I had as much money as Shaq did, I'd be generous too. And maybe you're thinking the same thing. In fact, some of us may be sitting here thinking that people who are generous are either mega rich or they're super spiritual 
or super holy. So we, we sometimes have these images of people with the wealth of Shaquille O'Neal or the spiritual resume of Mother Teresa as the only ones who can possibly gen, be generous in life. But the Apostle Paul challenges us with that kind of thinking. The Apostle Paul has some people in mind when he thought of joyful generosity. And it wasn't Shaquille O'Neal. It wasn't Mother Teresa. No, it was the churches, these Christians, these believers that made up the churches of Macedonia. And to motivate the believers in the church of Corinth to excel in the grace of giving for this love offering for the Jerusalem church, Paul now uses, he highlights, he puts before them the generosity of the Macedonians as an example. Now, what's interesting is what Paul highlights in the example of these Macedonian Christians. He highlights their joy and their generosity. And that is very unconventional, to say the least. And here's why. Because the Macedonians were going through a, in Paul's words, a severe test of affliction. And yet Paul highlights in his own words there, you'll notice in verse 2, their abundance of joy and wealth of generosity. In fact, notice it. Look what Paul says in verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, joy and generosity is the exact opposite of how most people respond in the face of severe affliction. The common response is fear and hoarding. Remember the pandemic just three years ago? People were hoarding toilet paper in the beginning. Why? Out of fear. Uh, and you've got to hoard. That's the common natural response. And in Yet, here, you would think their situation did not hinder them from giving. You would think that the money for this love offering would come from the wealthy churches that could easily afford to give, but that was not the case here with the Macedonian churches. Paul tells us that they were in extreme poverty. And that just simply means they were rock-bottom destitute. They were poor. And then they were in a severe test of affliction, Paul says. That the idea is they were, they were being crushed in their lives more than likely as a result of their devotion to Christ in their lives. In other words, these, these Macedonian believers that Paul holds out as an example to us, they were destitute and they were distressed. Their severe affliction and their extreme poverty, it made life very difficult for them. And yet, this particular situation that they are enduring, that they are facing, did not hinder them from participating in this love offering. In fact, they did what most of us would consider impossible. They gave with joyful generosity. It's actually mind-boggling because no computer, not even AI, can analyze this amazing formula that we see here as an example of these Macedonian Christians. 
And the formula is this that we see, is severe affliction and extreme poverty plus grace equals joyful generosity. And yet in our minds, that does not add up. It does not compute. That's not logical. That doesn't seem right. But that's the power of God's grace at work in our lives. It enables us to give regardless of what our income may be, even regardless of what our circumstances might be. So what do we learn from all this? What, by application, what should we take away uh, and apply in our own lives? Well, the, I think the Macedonians' joyful generosity shows us three things here. Number one, it shows us that generosity is not necessarily related to income. Listen, we've already seen, they were financially destitute. These were poor people. And so generosity is not necessarily related to the amount of one's income, how much somebody makes. Generosity also, number two, is not necessarily related to circumstances in life. Listen, they were physically afflicted. And yet we see that they responded with joyful generosity. They understood something that a lot of times we have a hard time understanding, that those who excel in joyful generosity don't wait for perfect circumstances. They don't wait for the ideal situation to come about before they give. And so whatever your financial situation might be, whatever your life circumstances might be, listen, the Macedonian believers, they understand. They've been there, they have done that, they have lived that. They were financially destitute, they were physically afflicted. And so if we are going to excel in joyful generosity, we cannot wait for the ideal or perfect circumstances before we begin to give. After all, they will probably never be perfect. Your circumstances in life will never be perfect. If you wait till they're perfect, you will be waiting till you die to give. Because we don't live in a perfect world. We don't live in ideal circumstances. You might be wondering, well, these Macedonian believers, they're, they're living in extreme poverty. Man, how, how did they give so generously? How is this even possible? Because they understood something. Notice this, number three, they understood that generosity is essentially related to the heart. They freely gave with joyful generosity. These Macedonian believers understood that the grace of giving has nothing to do with one's income, whether one makes $100 a week or one makes $10,000 a week. It has nothing to do with one's circumstances, whether life is going great for you. Everything is just, oh, man, it couldn't be better or whether you are in circumstances that are pretty dire. Rather, these people, these believers in the churches of Macedonia, they understood that generosity, it's all about a heart that is set free by the grace of God. And when the heart is free, there is no limit to joyful generosity. This is what Paul means when he says in verse 3, look at it, notice it in his own words here, when he writes in the scriptures in verse 3, for they gave according to their means, 
And then he says, and I can testify and beyond their means, of their own accord. This is incredible. In fact, it actually seems impossible. Though they were poor, the Macedonians gave according to their means. That is what they could afford. And then they gave beyond their means, what they could not afford when you look at it from a financial standpoint. This sort of giving can only happen when the heart is set free and fully surrendered to the Lord. But it's even more amazing. When the heart is free, we actually look for opportunities to give. Paul writes in verse 4 that the Macedonians, this is amazing, were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And that relief of the saints is the love offering that we've been talking about. And I, I look at that verse and I'm like, no way. But it's yes way. They were actually begging Paul for the opportunity to give. Now, I've been pastor here for over 20 years. And this has never happened to me. Nobody in the middle of a service has, has raised their hand or stood up and said, Hey, 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 Bruce, can, can we just take up an offering right now? I want to give more. It's never happened. And yet, this is what's taking place with Paul here. And so what seems rather incredible to us was very normal to the Macedonians. Joyful generosity is the norm when your heart is set free by the grace of God. And the heart will never be free until we give ourselves first to the Lord. Which brings us to our next principle. Number three, joyful generosity is linked to giving myself first to the Lord. And here we come to the bottom line of joyful generosity. In fact, this is the key part, or one of the keys, I should say. Look what Paul writes again about the Macedonians in verse 5. He says about them, and this, not as we expected, but they, the they there's referring to these believers in the churches of Macedonia, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. That means they did not give out of guilt. They did not give out of pressure. They didn't give out of manipulation. They gave because they simply wanted to. In fact, they were begging Paul for the opportunity. And they wanted to because they had given themselves first to the Lord. And that is, they had given their heart, they had given them lives to the surrender of God. In other words, they saw their giving as simply an overall expression of their commitment to the Lord and His ownership of their lives. And so what's going on here is these particular believers, they have ownership and stewardship in, with the right balance. They understand God owns it and we're the stewards of it. In fact, speaking of ownership, Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it and the world and all who live in it. Deuteronomy 8, 18 says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 reminds us, You are not your own, you were bought with a price. So understand something here. Understand that everything I am and everything that I have belongs to the Lord. He created it. He made it possible for me to have it, and it belongs to Him. What does this mean in, in practical 
standpoint here. It simply means a joyful generosity. It's, it's way more about giving yourself first to the Lord than it is about simply giving your money. Joyful generosity is more. It, has, it starts, it's more about giving your whole life, giving your, your heart to the Lord. And when you do that, the financial part of giving follows right behind it. Why? Because giving is simply an expression of our commitment to the Lord in His ownership of our lives. And this leads us to the fourth principle. Joyful generosity is evidence of growing in Christ. It's evidence of us growing in Christ. We see this principle in verses 6 and 7. Notice what Paul writes. He says, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started so he should complete among you this act of grace. Now, what act is he referring to? It's what we've already been talking about. This act of grace is specifically the act of the grace of giving or the act of joyful generosity. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So here's what Paul is saying. If I, can, if I can say it this way, summarize it this way to the church at Corinth. He's saying, listen, you guys, you, are, you guys are so gifted. You are, are growing in so many things, in so many areas of your life, but you're missing a key part of what it means to grow in Christ. In other words, none of these other things, and Paul lists those other things, faith, speech, knowledge, love, is a substitute for this act of grace of giving. You see, they're, they're excelling, as Paul calls it, in these areas, wasn't carrying over to their giving. And so now Paul challenges them with that. He challenges them. Listen, you're growing in all these other areas, but now grow in this area. In fact, don't just grow in it, but excel in it. Excel in joyful generosity. Because in Paul's mind, his logic is this. It means a, a lack of generosity in somebody's life at the root of it is probably an indicator of a lack of spiritual maturity. As one author writes, Kent Hughes, he says, there is no way to grow to spiritual maturity without committing your finances to the Lord. Jesus can have our money and not have our hearts but he cannot have our hearts without having our money. And if truth be told, this is why some people reach these sticking spots in their spiritual growth. They have yet to grow in this particular grace, this grace of giving, as Paul calls it. Now, if you're here this morning and, and you're already in your mind, you identify more with with these Corinthian believers that Paul's challenging, more than you do the Macedonian believers that Paul's holding up as an example of generosity, then let me encourage you to take notice of this final principle that Paul gives us. Number five, joyful generosity is a response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's our heartfelt response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. These next two verses, Paul talks about the gospel in financial terms. 
Look what he says in verses 8 and 9. I say this not as a command. In other words, he's not commanding us to give. Giving should not be out of pressure or manipulation or guilt. So Paul's he's not commanding the churches, these believers at the church of Corinth, to give and participate in this love offering. But notice what he goes on to say. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus is called, quote, rich here because he possesses everything. In fact, he is the owner, he is the creator, he is the ruler of everything, according to Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And Jesus possessed, get a load of this, he possessed all of this even before he came to this earth in his incarnation. What we would celebrate next month as Christmas. And yet the Bible tells us that Jesus embraced a a poverty that did not fit with who he is so that this divine transfer could take place. Paul alludes to this in Philippians chapter 2. He alludes to it again in Ephesians chapter 2. In other words, this divine transfer is this. Jesus became poor so that we, who are spiritually poor, could become what? Spiritually poor rich. That's the gospel in financial terms. And the implication of this is significant. People who have experienced this much generosity through the grace of God in Jesus Christ ought to overflow now with generosity. Again, this is why only those who have experienced the grace of God can actually respond with joyful generosity. And all of this kind of needs or should make us stop and evaluate and reflect on whether we are true believers in Jesus Christ. In other words, we ought to reflect and evaluate, Am I, have, have I been born again? Has the grace of God done a work in my heart? Have I received Jesus Christ by faith, by the grace, and received him as my Lord and Savior? And do I really know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I want you to listen to the words of Robert Murray McShaney. And that name may not mean a whole lot to you, but he was a minister in the Church of Scotland in the 1800s, and he says this. And I'm quoting him here. He says, I fear there are many hearing me who now know well that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally Not grudgingly at all requires a new heart, he says. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than with its money. Oh, my friends, you better enjoy your money. Make the most of it. Give none of it away. Enjoy it quickly, for I can tell you, you will be beggars throughout eternity. He speaks with a frankness that we're not used to. And yet he speaks with loving truthfulness as well. And so please, please hear me. 
If you do not know Jesus Christ here this morning as your Lord and Savior, then, then don't give your money, for your money will not save you. Listen, we don't pay penance to earn God's grace and to save us. We don't give in the offering and put our offering in the offering box or give on loan online to earn God's grace and to somehow make it into heaven. No, you need Jesus first and foremost. You need to come to the point in your life where you realize, listen, I am a sinner and I am hopeless and I am helpless in my sin. And if I die in this spiritual state, I am forever separated from God in all, for all eternity in a place called hell, according to the Bible. I need Jesus to save me and redeem me. And that is an act of grace by God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's you. That's your first starting point. You need to experience the grace of God in your life first and foremost. And until then, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. So let me encourage you to reflect on that. Reflect on your own relationship with the Lord. Is it there? Is it real? Have you been born again by the grace of God? Now, in this first section of verses here in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is is commending the generosity of these Macedonian believers. And he's also, at the same time, he is challenging the church at Corinth to excel in the grace of giving. And I just want to take a moment here to do the same thing. I I want to commend you, and I also want to challenge us. Like the Macedonians, many of you here, Many of you here, you are excelling in the grace of giving. And you have done so faithfully this year of 2023. In fact, many of you have excelled in the grace of giving in past years as well. In fact, if Paul were standing here today, he could could hold you up. He could hold your giving up as an example of joyful generosity. And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving faithfully. Thank you for your generosity to the Lord through LifeBridge. Listen, your joyful generosity, it truly does make a difference. Don't think for one minute that it doesn't. Listen, your giving, it really does. We say it every Sunday. It honors the Lord. Your giving glorifies our God. In fact, Paul alludes to this in these two chapters that, well, one of the reasons for joyful generosity is because it brings glory to our God and Heavenly Father. And so your giving honors the Lord, it glorifies God, and yes, it fuels our mission here at LifeBridge of bridging the gap with the gospel. And yes, there is no doubt about it. Your giving, our giving here, it funds the various ministries of our churches, of our church. And yes, it funds the various ministers here that are on staff. It funds our admin staff. It funds myself as the lead pastor and Pastor Chris as the associate pastor. And so all of our giving goes to this, and it helps people. Our giving helps us to people to know Christ, to grow in Christ, to show Christ, and to go with Christ. That's what your giving is doing. It makes a difference. And all of this is commendable. It is commendable, but there's also a challenge here to take home with. 
And that is to excel in what Paul is calling the grace of giving. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And if that sounds like a foreign concept to you, that is the idea of joyful generosity. It just, in some way, it seems contradictory. That's because you probably have never experienced the blessing of giving. Because there is a joy in it. There is a blessing in it. But as people who have experienced the grace of God, our challenge now is to excel in the grace of giving as a demonstration of God's love and in response to God's grace. Back at the beginning here this morning, I, we, we define, if you will, the, the reality of our general budget. And the reality is we're running currently as the end of September 13% below our budget. That's our, our financial reality at the end of September. But I think as we come to the end of this message here, I think it's also helpful for each of us as individuals to also define our reality. That is to define our reality when it comes to our own personal giving to the Lord through LifeBridge. And so one way to help you do that is to simply look at the back of your notes here, and, the, and there's a target, and to answer this question, where are you when it comes to giving to the Lord? And there's four options to kind of evaluate. Perhaps you're, you're at the very top, man. You are, you are part of those who give joyfully and generously to the Lord. Maybe you're the next one down where you give consistently, or maybe you're the third one down where you give, but it's sporadic. It's inconsistent. It's, it's hit and miss. It's kind of give if you feel like it or don't feel like it. Or maybe you're at the bottom one there where you're not yet giving. You have yet to give anything to the Lord through LifeBridge. My my challenge to us here this morning is simply this. Three steps to excelling in joyful generosity. And step number one is to identify where you are in your giving to the Lord. To honestly look at this target and to reflect on your giving in this last year of 2023. Where are you at? Where would you have to, which of these four would you circle at? Circle. And then step number two, to ask God prayerfully God, where, where do you want me to be in my giving? This coming year, or maybe these last two months of 2023 and going into 2024, Lord, where is it you want me to be? Not where I think I should be or can be, because if you only look at it from a financial standpoint, we will always lower ourselves. But Lord, where do you want me to excel? Where do you want me to be? And then be ready to hear God's answer and surrender to it. And then number three is to consider moving at least one circle toward joyful, generous giving. No doubt this will require a step of faith. It will mean trusting God to meet your needs now and in the coming year. And ultimately, joyful generosity will require surrendering your life and your finances to the Lord. My prayer is this, as your pastor, is that we here as a congregation... As a church family, we will take up Paul's challenge in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7. And that may look a little different for each of us. But as we all reflect on his challenge, we will embrace it. We will take it up. We will prayerfully ask God, where are you moving in my life to meet this challenge going forward in the last two months of this year and even in the next year, where Paul says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, 
in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace that comes to us, that has been provided for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, without him as our Lord and Savior, we are destitute. We are hopeless. We are helpless in our sins. And so, Lord, we first and foremost, we acknowledge your goodness to us and your grace in Jesus Christ and what you have provided for us through him. The redemption of our lives, the forgiveness of our sins, and the gift of eternal life. And Lord, even beyond that, we now, in this moment, in this time, while we're still living on this earth, we have the opportunity to excel and to grow in our faith in you. And in particular, to grow in this act of grace of giving. And so would you speak to us? Would you move in our hearts? Would you challenge us? And Lord, at the same time, we trust you. We know that you are a God who can do abundantly and exceedingly above all that we think or imagine. And so, Lord, would you provide, would you sustain, would you provide for our needs through the joyful generosity of your people here at LifeBridge. We pray this in your name. Amen.